You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. The Overwhelmed Brain is a proud provider of self empowerment for your personal evolution. Are you annoyed by affirmations when someone says to you, What? You ran out of coupons and can't buy food for your family? Think positively and everything will work out just fine. Oh, hold on a sec. Hello? Hey Pete, this is Bill. I just wanted to find out if we're going to Tahiti in my helicopter or my yacht. No, no. I told you I can't fly to Tahiti this week. I'm getting a larger screen installed in our home theater. Didn't you just get a nine-foot screen for that room? No, the nine-foot one won't work. It's like staring at a postage stamp. You can't see enough detail. We're getting the 30-foot diagonal. Then we're going to rip out the new chairs we just installed and replace them all with heated vibrating ones. After that's done, I'll be going to the homeless shelter to tell them the secret to getting back to work and getting shelter. Let me guess, you're going to tell them to think positively. <laughs> you have been listening, my friend. Yes, think positively, just like me. Believe me, I've been homeless before. One time, I had to move into my own guest house. My own guest house! I went from 5,000 square feet to 2,300 square feet. I might as well have moved into a cardboard box, so I know what it's like to be homeless. If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then get ready to start creating the life you've always wanted now. This is Paul Coliani, host of The Overwhelmed Brain. I am your personal empowerment coach, and this is the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical, down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. Now, if you're here to learn more common sense tips for improving your life, <laughs> you're in the wrong place. This is the direct path to uncommon sense, and that's why it's going to help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. For today's quote, I'm going to skip today's quote <laughs> so that I can frame you for the upcoming Ask Paul segment. In today's show, I read an email from a woman who married a man who cheated on her. And even after she found out, he wouldn't stop. In fact, I'd guess that he probably felt some relief knowing that he didn't have to keep it secret anymore and that he could continue his bad behavior knowing it was hurting his wife. The wife, however, didn't leave. She stayed, and she continued to stay until finally the husband decided to kick her out of the house. Now, the question might come up, why did she stay? I mean, if you found out the one you loved and trusted is actually betraying you and sharing his or her emotional and physical time and energy with someone else, would you stay? 
especially knowing that the person had no intentions of stopping? And if you'd stay, why? Some people do. Even though they're in pain and devastated, they choose to stay. There are several reasons for this, and one of them has to do with an abused mindset. Once one experiences abuse and decides to stay in the abusive relationship or situation, their tolerance for abuse goes up. And what this means in a real situation is that once you get a punch in the face, then a slap on the cheek is much easier to tolerate than perhaps another punch in the face or worse. So the toleration threshold is set every time the abuse gets worse. If you got punched in the face, pushed down the stairs, and then kicked repeatedly, and then a week later you only got pushed against a wall, you might stick around because at least it wasn't as bad as that first thing that happened. The abused mind develops higher and higher toleration boundaries. In effect, causing the person being abused to make decisions that are unhealthy for them. But why would someone stay in a relationship after being abused? And why does someone stay in a relationship when they know their partner or spouse is going to cheat on them or is cheating on them? How can someone have such high toleration levels? Is it because they love the other person so much that they're willing to see through their faults and just wait it out, hoping they'll eventually stop hurting them? I mean, there are many factors that would cause someone to stay in a place where they're continually getting hurt. But the one I want to talk about today has to do with how much you actually care for yourself and your well-being. I dive into that in the next segment. But before that begins... Did you hear the episode where I talked about toxic relationships with both people and things? I told the story of how I kept pouring more and more money into a car that my wife, when I was married, told me to get rid of. And every time I would bring this car to the shop, I would pay over a thousand dollars for repairs. <laughs> it happened over and over again. It kept having problems and I kept fixing those problems. I figured, hey, every time I replace a part, I don't have to worry about that part again. <laughs> well, the only flaw in that logic is that a car has thousands of parts. So that isn't exactly the best perspective to have about a money pit. So at the time, I didn't realize that I had a toxic relationship with my car. I just thought it was always getting better because I always kept it running. Then one day... When I was driving through the Arizona desert, it broke down on me. I was a thousand miles from home, and this time, I wasn't going anywhere. I've told my breakdown in the desert story a few times on this show, so I won't repeat it. But let's just say that keeping that toxic relationship, the one with my car, caused one of the biggest breakdowns in my life. And yes, it wasn't just the car that broke down that day. It was a massive emotional attack, and it changed my life. However, when my car died that day, my toxic relationship with it ended. It was no longer an energy and money drain on me because after the breakdown, the relationship no longer existed. It was like 
God or the universe stepped in and said, All right, if you don't end this, I will, for your own good. And then, boom, the relationship was over. But the healing began. Because after that, I learned to not be so attached to things that hold me back in some way. Yes, it's strange to talk about a relationship with a car, but the analogy is sound. When a person in your life gives you warning after warning, and you choose to continue the relationship, you will eventually have a crisis that puts you in a situation that you don't want to be in. Relationships start with relating. When you relate to another person, you get along. You may have similar interests. You feel good around them, and you share experiences. When you don't relate to a person, you don't hang around them. You don't share experiences, and you would rather be probably by yourself than with them. But if you instead choose to stick with this person, even though you really have no way of relating to them, it's going to feel odd and awkward. You'll just be biding your time, hoping things change. But if you move on, this is what I would call caring for yourself. You'd be caring about where you spent your time and money and energy. You'd be honoring what you really want in life. When you don't relate to someone anymore, you don't have a relationship anymore. You could stay in that situation, but more times than not, it doesn't get better without some outside help. I loved my car because I really believed it was going to stick around and always be there for me. I ignored the warning signs and, and chose to keep going forward. It would take more money and more money, and eventually it broke down, and it no longer provided for me. And because it was gone, I was free. Isn't that strange? The thing I loved left, and it freed me. I was free because, for the first time, I contemplated what life would be like without that toxic relationship. I thought about how I would feel knowing that I wasn't driving something that actually stressed me out quite a bit. For the first time, I realized just how toxic that relationship was. And funny how I just told that story in another episode, and one of my coaching clients, who didn't even hear that episode yet, told me that she used to wake up every morning. I mean, this is a call I just had yesterday. She used to wake up every morning and see something that absolutely disgusted her. She would look over to the wall in her bedroom and see this old, metal, rusty air conditioner. <laughs> it was uh, built into the wall, and she got into a bad mood every time she saw it. And I'm sure she was thinking something like, there's that gross, broken machine again. I wish I could make that go away. And she told me that she finally did something about it. She finally paid a contractor to remove the unit and patch up the wall. Do you know how she wakes up every morning now? She looks over and has a huge feeling of relief and happiness. In fact, having that eyesore in her life was helpful for her to see what life was like without it. She wakes up a different person now, and it really has changed how she starts her day. So as we go into this next segment, 
Think about what toxifies your life and take some effort to visualize what it would be like without those things. Toxic people, places, things, all the nouns <laughs> that affect us every day. What can change? What are you keeping around because you think you need it, but it drains you more than it fulfills you? What is something that you can change today? Start off small. I had another client that cleaned up her whole apartment and got rid of half of her stuff. The reason she did that is because she only wanted to keep the things that made her feel good. What makes you feel good has the ability to empower you. So start small and work your way up and you'll feel a difference almost right away. Let's go to the next segment where we talk about something even more toxic, infidelity. Sounds like fun, I know. <laughs> See you there. Asha is here almost every week with important information about how the prepaid legal services that she represents can help you through the hard stuff in life where if you were to be without it, you would likely feel alone and without someone on your side that can tell you exactly what you need to do in almost any situation. Asha is an independent associate for Legal Shield, and she can connect you, your family, and even your small business with legal services for a very low monthly fee. So anyway, today Asha didn't want me to set up her segment. I usually ask her a question, but this time she said, no questions, because <laughs> I want to tell you a story that just happened to me yesterday. I thought, all right, <laughs> this should be compelling. So without knowing exactly what's going to happen next, Asha, tell me your story. In a nutshell, I got a call from the surgery center for my son, and they told me that I owed another $800 to meet my deductible, which was not true because I had already met my deductible and I knew I had met my deductible. So I asked her what to do to get it righted, and she said I need the insurance company to call and confirm that they had made a mistake. I call my insurance company, and they tell me, oh no, I owe them another $800 deductible, which is not accurate, and I know it's not accurate because I understand the terms for individual deductible, family deductible, and out-of-pocket expense. But the girl kept talking to me like I was an idiot and insisting that I was wrong and I really didn't understand and she didn't know what else she could do to help me. So I finally got to the point where I just said, you know what, I need to go now, but I need a phone number and a name or a department number contact so that I know who to have my attorney call because this is not right and I'm going to get it straightened out. She wasn't thrilled, but she gave me the benefits department, sign up, whatever it was, and the phone number immediately. And that was it. That was the end of the call. I was nice. I was upset. And at the same time, I knew that I, unless they had bamboozled me with the sign up, miss, you know, misleading advertising, that my attorney could straighten this out with one phone call or one letter because they were not going to let ill-informed or improperly trained people make me pay an extra $800 for surgery that should have been covered. Who knows how much more charges there would have been. So I called my attorney. 
Then I called the company back after looking up all the information myself, and I got somebody that was smarter. <laughs> and they saw that I was right, and they resolved it. So by the time my attorney called back, I said, it's been handled. So I already know the answer to this. How much did you have to pay an attorney to have one immediately available in case you needed one? Well, I paid $20 this month. Actually, my plan is $17.95. So that's how much it cost me to get help with this. And that's how much it would have cost if they had to make a phone call or a letter. There is no charge for this stuff. When you need that kind of help and you don't have to hire representation, it's all included in your service. I knew they were not going to rip me off. Whether it was intentional or unintentional is irrelevant. I was not going to get ripped off. I always have this in my back pocket and it felt good. It gets me out of the scare when something crazy happens and I'm about to lose a bunch of money. And if I hadn't had this, they might have gotten away with it. If I had called back again and they said the same thing over and over, even if it's just because their people are untrained, what was I going to do? I don't have a leg to stand on without an attorney. There was nothing I could do. I had nobody to help me. And they know that and they count on that. So get the service, man. Get the service. <laughs> it's worth every penny. <laughs> it's worth every penny, every cent. Call me, 678-355-8777 or click the Get Out of the Legal Mess button on theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Real quick, how is your son now? Doing great. And I will not be paying another dime for this surgery. Life is good. All right, this segment is where I read a listener email on the air and do my best to help them through a challenge they're having. And here is today's letter. Dear Paul, my husband and I have been together several years and married for almost five. A few months ago, he told me to move out. We've had many problems which have led to this, years and years of infidelity on his part, and then somehow he would flip it around and make it my fault, and I would find myself apologizing. The story is far too long to put in an email, but I did move out at his request, and I'm miserable. I know it's for the best, but all I can do is cry. I don't want to do anything else and worry that I may lose my job. Everyone says it just takes time to heal, but I keep calling and texting him only to be ignored or to have him say something mean, which just keeps the pain in the forefront of my mind. How do I move on? How do I heal? Am I ever going to find someone else or will I always be alone? I don't even know how to go about finding someone else. Please help. Mary. Yes, I'm using a fake name to protect her identity. First of all, Mary, thank you for sharing this. This is a hard situation to be in, and a lot of women in your uh, are in your position right now because they are married to people who they know are cheating on them, uh, and they are staying in these relationships, uh, causing even more pain. So the pain of being betrayed or cheated on Plus, they're staying in the relationship knowing it's happening. And of course, there are people out there that are in relationships that they don't know it's happening, but they suspect it's happening. So there is a lot of uh, hurt here. There's a lot of pain. And 
you know, the very first thing that happens when you find out you're being cheated on is you go into shock. I mean, this is my opinion, but I think you go into some sort of mental shock, knowing that all your trust has now been betrayed and the person that you trusted your life with has taken your heart and thrown it on the ground. I don't mean to be overly dramatic there, but that's what it feels like. This kind of betrayal is one of the hardest things to deal with. In fact, when I worked in uh, my hypnosis practice back in 2009, I would uh, share an office with psychotherapists, psychiatrists, and therapists, and they told me, or one of them told me, one of the worst things in the world for someone to handle, to, for someone to deal with, is infidelity. And one of the things that they see that's even harder to handle is the loss of a child. Now, I, I can't imagine what that's like, but that shows you how high on the pain level that infidelity can be. Now, here is one of the problems. Once you are cheated on, the pain level is so high that if you choose to stay in the relationship, then you've already experienced one of the worst pains that you can feel, which means your toleration level just ramped up 10, a hundred times, really high. Because what'll happen from that point on is that everything won't seem as bad as the cheating that happened. So when your husband or wife does the next bad thing, well, it wasn't as bad as the cheating, so I guess it can't be that bad and I'll tolerate it. And so the next white lie they tell, well, at least it wasn't as bad as the cheating, so I'll tolerate it. So you open up this giant buffer for them to continue bad behavior. Now, I want you to think about that really carefully because this is what causes problems almost always when couples choose to stay together after an affair. Now, I'm not saying that an affair can't be dealt with and processed and worked through and the relationship can get certainly can get better after that. But the statistics say that once a cheater, especially one that's been doing it a while and lying about it for a while, especially if they don't admit it to you and you find out, then they've either been doing it for longer than they say and or they are capable of lying about it over and over again and lying about anything over and over again, which tells you the kind of person they are. Now, I actually know someone who cheated on his wife and it, it almost destroyed their relationship, but they decided to stay together and they're still working it out. And ever since that day, or I don't know what he, I don't know how often he did it, but ever since that time in their marriage, he has felt guilty and he has had a hard time getting over it. So that's a situation where the cheating happened. The wife was willing to forgive and move on. And the husband who did the cheating is now in a situation where he feels guilty and he can't be happy because he just feels so bad that he did it to his wife. When you have that type of situation, there's a huge, huge chance that you can make the marriage right again and it will continue to uh, grow and heal and get to a point where you can 
be blissful together, at least closer to it than you've ever been, because there was a huge pain and the cheater feels remorse and vows to himself, promises himself that he will never do that again because he realized what he almost lost. Then there's the flip side where the cheater likes cheating. The cheater likes getting, not only getting his cake, but eating it too at home and having it out and about elsewhere as well. (laughs) I think I said that right. But when you have someone that betrays the trust of the other person, when your partner, your, your spouse, your boyfriend or girlfriend betrays you and continues that betrayal month after month or even year after year, this gives them the license and the freedom to lie to you. I'm not saying it's their right. I'm saying that this is what happens is that they realize they get away with it and it's easy. And now they're enjoying life very selfishly, having no care about what you think until they get caught. And then they care what you think because now they lose access to their selfish desires. Sometimes. In your case, Mary, he chose to continue cheating because you said that he knows that you know he's cheating. And I'm willing to bet that he probably wasn't man enough to end the marriage himself, hoping that when you found out that you would leave. And since you didn't leave, he probably had to ask you to leave. When you're in a situation where you're with someone who decides that they want more than just you, and they decide to go be with someone else without ending their relationship with you. This tells a lot about their character. I mean, I know they've already betrayed and lied, and you're already finding out about their character, but when you choose to stay with someone with that kind of character who will not tell you that they're thinking about having an affair or looking at other people and instead just go ahead and do it, not thinking about how it will affect you, then you have to consider how they love you or if they love you. Now, I I know that might be hard to hear, but if someone really loves you, they will support your happiness. They will do what they can to make sure that they are honoring you, honoring yourself. And I'm willing to bet that when you got married, Part of the way you'd honor yourself is to be with someone who honors you and to be with someone who supports you and supports your happiness. And I'm sure your vows didn't say it's okay for him to go cheat. And I know for sure that he knows that it's not okay for him to go cheat and that he knows it would hurt you if you found out, which tells me he is not honoring you and he can't really love you. Now, this is hard to hear, but someone who loves you, honors you and supports you and wants you to be happy. So when they do things that purposefully hurt you, that's not love. Now, what can happen is that someone can betray you, realize their mistake, feel bad about it, realize that they have something really special, like my friend I was telling you about, feel remorse, feel guilty, come back and say, I really do love you. I made a mistake. Oh my God, what am I doing? That's a different scenario. But the way you describe this is that he didn't care how you felt about their his situation and his cheating, which 
equates to I don't care about you. Again, that hurts. But, you know, there's a reason I'm telling you this. There's a reason I'm putting you in a place where you realize he doesn't love you, he doesn't want you, he doesn't support you, because I want you to think about where you're focusing your energy. Where are you focusing your thoughts and your time? And like you said, you text him. That means you're focusing on this person. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were working in a job and the boss came up to you and says, I need you to work all week and weekends and especially double shifts on the weekend and I'm not going to pay you for that extra time. Now, if you really love the job, maybe you'd do it once or twice and maybe you would tolerate it and do it more often than that, but it would be hard. And maybe you would say, no, I can't do that. And he would say, well, I'm going to fire you then if you, if you don't do it. And then you're like, oh, I don't want to get fired. And then you decide to do it. And then in a month, he comes out and says, all right, I'm going to give you a pay cut and I'm going to give you this extra work to do that Sandy over here doesn't want to do. So you do her work along with your work. All right, thanks. And then he shuts the door. And now you're in another situation where like, ah, this is so unfair. <laughs> How can he do this to me? And so another month goes by. You, you decide to stay. And another month goes by. And he yells at you in front of everyone. Mary, you didn't get these reports done. You are pathetic. You are a loser. Now I want you to come in an hour early every day and make coffee for the entire office. Do that for the next month. And you don't get paid this week. And now you're steaming mad. Now everything's building up. And you realize, and I hope you do, you realize that you are not being treated right. So the question is, do you continue to work there? And, and as it gets worse and worse and worse, and let's just say your boss starts lying to you and lying about you to other people, it gets worse and worse and worse. Do you go back to work there? Your answer should be no, because going back there is like being in an abusive relationship. Now, let me compare that to your relationship. When you work for someone else, you focus on your needs. You focus internally and go, I'm being treated unfairly. I am being disrespected. I'm being lied to. I'm being lied about. All your focus, all your energy is focused on you and your needs in this work relationship. And you get to a point of going, I'm not going to stand for it anymore. I'm getting out of here. And that's what you do. You take a stand for yourself. Now, why doesn't that happen in a relationship? Why doesn't that happen in a romantic relationship or a marriage? Why can't you look at the other person and say to yourself, I'm being disrespected. I'm being lied to and lied about. I'm being cheated on. I'm being betrayed. I wake up every day and give this relationship my all. And all I get back is a cheating, lying person who doesn't love me. Yet, you wake up and do the same thing again and again. You keep coming back. You keep stepping back into the abuse. Do you know why you do this? And if you don't know why, that's okay. Because I'm about to tell you probably why you do this. The reason you do this. 
is probably because you don't feel that you are worthy. Because if you felt like you were worth more than this, you were worth anything more than what, than the way you're being treated, you would not stand for it. You would look at your life and feel that it feels bad being with this person and go, no, I'm not going to take this because I love myself too much. And the reason you probably don't feel worthy is because the water got hotter and hotter and you adjusted to the new temperature every time. I call this disintegrating self-worth. And you received that shocking admission or you caught him, I'm not sure, cheating on you. And that was the biggest shock of the marriage. So you initially got burned and then you sat in the hot water from that point on. And because it wasn't continually burning you, you just tolerated it more and more. And yes, this disintegrates your worthiness, your self-worth, how you feel about yourself because you chose to stay and hope that things changed and hope that he would feel bad and stop cheating on you and stop making you feel inferior. The truth is your worth has to come from within, not from someone else. And it's possible that maybe your childhood caused this where you didn't have parents that made you feel worthy or a parent or even a bigger brother or sister or grandparent, whatever it is, anyone in in your circle of influence when you were younger somehow made you feel like you weren't worthy. And that's not good. That's not a good place to be because then you're seeking your worth outside of you for the rest of your life. That is very hard to do because that means it puts a lot of pressure on other people to make you feel worthy. Now, what is self-worth? Self-worth is how you feel about yourself when, and it starts in childhood, when other people say things about you or how much neglect or attention that you get, especially in childhood, where as you grow older, your self-worth turns into how much self-esteem you have. So if you felt low self-worth as a child, you brought low self-esteem into the adult world. And then you became more and more tolerant of those around you who didn't make you feel loved or wanted or getting the attention that you deserved. When those people didn't do that for you, you still tried to seek it from them. When your husband made you feel less worthy, you tried to seek it, seek more worth from him. You tried to seek his acceptance of you or his love for you. You tried to seek it and you couldn't find it, which made you seek it more and made you want him more, even though he was not feeling the same about you. This is what happens when you don't have intrinsic self-worth because you have nothing to draw on. So you look to the outside world to have it happen and hope it happens. And when you, when it doesn't happen, when you can't find the person to help you feel worthy, You try to find aspects of a relationship that would make you feel worthy. And this is not a healthy place to be in because you will never be happy that way. And even the fleeting months or years of happiness, when it does happen because you do find someone that fulfills you in that way, it eventually wears off because 
the other person's not going to be able to keep his or her side of the equation. It just doesn't work out that way, which is why it's important to develop a healthier self-worth and self-esteem. And yes, I do have an episode on developing a healthier self-worth and self-esteem. I highly recommend you listen to that episode. I want you to go to my website, theoverwhelmedbrain.com, and uh, search for the episode called Self-Worth, Self-Esteem, and Handling Situations as the Child or the Adult. It's going to help you greatly in this area. Because let me tell you what happens. If you don't work on this in yourself, then no matter what relationship you have from this point on, you are going to attract the same level of dysfunction that you are at right now. In other words, if your level of dysfunction is at a nine, you're going to attract someone that complements that level of dysfunction at their level too, at level eight or nine or 10 or whatever. Otherwise, you wouldn't be attracted to them. Now, let me explain that a little bit. Dysfunction isn't a bad thing. It just shows what we need to work on. Whatever you need to work on in yourself, you're going to find someone to reflect that back in you. I needed to work on my judgment issues. And when I got married, she had a a food or a sugar addiction problem. And that's her self-admittedly saying that. And so my judgment issues kicked in every time she put junk food in her mouth. And every time I judged, she felt less and less safe, less and less loved. And the marriage was disintegrating because of my judgments. But had I not met her and had she not had those problems, I would never have had the chance to work on my judgment issues. So, yes, my judgment issues basically destroyed my marriage, which, you know, I feel bad about. But at the same time, had that not happened, I would not have healed. I would not have discovered that I had such a, a high level of dysfunction in that area, and I would not have been able to heal. So I am so grateful that I met someone that helped uh, reflect back to me what I needed to work on. Just like you can find this in him. What has he reflected back to you that you need to work on so that you don't attract the same type of person again? Or if not the same type of person, the same level of dysfunction that you're currently at, you don't want that in your life again. And and how do you avoid that? You work on yourself. You don't seek someone else. You work on yourself to be the person, to be the high-functioning person that you know you want to be, the high self-worth, the high self-esteem person, so that when you meet someone new, you're not attracting that old level of dysfunction that you were at, the person you were that chose to live with a betrayer, that chose to live with a cheater, a liar, and continued torturing yourself, hoping that he'd change. When you're not that person, when you're a person of uh, high integrity for yourself, one who honors her boundaries, you're not going to attract that person. That person won't be in your life because you're going to see the signs clearly. You won't be blind to them. You'll be attracted to people that are of the same level of uh, mental health and well-being. And this is so important, which is why it's very important when when you're still healing 
from the last relationship, not to jump into the next one because you magnetize dysfunctional people to you. It's crazy how it works, but I think you probably know <laughs> what I mean. You go, you jump into relationship after relationship and they all end the same way. My relationships were like that. All of my in- relationships have ended the same way with them leaving. And usually they don't know why they're so burnt out on me, but they are. And, you know, I had to go through healing to find out that, hey, I was a manipulative person. I didn't even know that. (laughs) But I I thought I was uh, doing the right thing, but I was manipulating. And I was also judging and I was trying to have them meet my own standards for myself, which caused them to feel uncomfortable, unsafe, and unloved around me. So I had to do a lot of healing so that I didn't attract another person that would amplify what dysfunction I had in myself. And the way I did that is healed from a a lot of the stuff that caused the end of my relationships. And once that stuff got healed, I attracted someone completely opposite of who I'm used to attracting. And I'm in a relationship now that is pretty much the opposite of what I'm used to. And this is exactly what will happen with you if you choose to just work on yourself. Enjoy this time of being single and not cheated on. I mean, how good does that feel? Now, you may still be in pain about this. I know how that feels. The end of a marriage that you've wanted to last the rest of your life is painful. It's It was the fantasy of something wonderful that was destroyed. Yes, I know. I went through that. It was hard. But one of the things that you need to do to start the healing process was something I did that really helped. I mean, this was a game changer for me, actually, was to, in in my case, I wrote her a letter. And I said all the meanest, nastiest things I could say and how it was her fault and how I was just angry with her for doing what she did. I wrote that letter, but I didn't send it. And I did this on the computer, so it was easy to edit. So I wrote it, and I read it, and I go, okay, this is what I want to say to her. And I read it, and I was like, you know, I'm not as mad as I was, so I'm going to change this and change this. And, you know, that really wasn't her fault. That was kind of my fault. But the rest of it is her fault, and I'm going to send it this way. So I reread it again, and I'm like, wow. You know, once I read, once I read it again, I feel like, you know, a lot of this stuff isn't her fault. So I rewrote it again. And as I was rewriting it, I felt a release of all this anger because I, I, I finally got out everything that was inside of me. I just, when, when you write this stuff down or tell someone else, uh, all this anger, you know, sadness, rejection, everything, when you let it all out, Uh, There's some release. There's an energetic, emotional, energetic release that comes out of you because you're holding it in. But once it comes out, then you start thinking more freely and more clearly. So my third iteration of my letter to her, I took all the responsibility for my role in the end of our relationship. And I decided just to not blame her and say, you know, we both had a part in this, but I do take responsibility for everything that I did, and I know, and I just admitted it, I know that I was the primary cause of this breakdown. And I said, you know, let's just disconnect. 
and maybe someday in the future we'll meet on the street and we'll be strangers again. But let's just cut ties right here, right now, so I can move on, so you can move on. Because before that, you know, she was trying to reach out and be friendly and kind, and I just wasn't having it because I was still angry. But I decided, let's just cut ties completely. Cold turkey. Let's end it. And that's what I did. And I sent that version of the letter. And she didn't respond. But the next day, we were no longer friends on Facebook. And she was actually on my newsletter. (laughs) And she unsubscribed from the newsletter. And I never heard from her again until my cat died. And she sent a, a kind note, which I appreciated. But basically, we have not talked since, and it was huge in a good way, in a good healing way, because now she was able to move on without considering, you know, if she's hurting me, you know, I don't know if she was or not, but I think she really did care for me. So she was able to move on and find someone else that wouldn't treat her like I treated her. And I was also able to move on too. I was able to move on in myself and come to what I love, which is closure. I came to a place of closure, and that's so important when you're in the end of a relationship. You find out from the other person, or what I did was, I found out from her, is there a chance that we can patch this up? And she thought about it, and then she said, no. And so I had to accept that there was no chance ever that we would get back together. When you accept that, you're going to feel pain, but then you can move on. That's the first step in healing. Well, the first step in healing is to write it all down, get it out. But the second step was quitting cold turkey. Do something immediately to show that you are quitting that person cold turkey. Show the universe that even though you hate that decision, that you don't want to accept it, that you're going to honor it anyway. And quite frankly, if you really love this person, this person that cheated on you for years, you also honor their decision if they don't want to stay with you. I'm not saying you should honor a liar and a cheater, but you should honor the fact that they don't want to be with you anymore. These are all hard facts to digest, but you have to digest it. You have to come to an acceptance. You have to delete them from your phone. If you want to, you have to rip up your old pictures with them. You have to unfriend them from Facebook. You have to disconnect in a way where if they stay in your life, they are toxic. If you continually see them in their social media updates like Facebook posts, then you're going to continue thinking about them. If you're sending him text messages, you're going to continue thinking about him and relying on hope that things will change and maybe there's a chance. The only chance of this ever coming to a resolution for you, whether you end up together again or not, is by letting it go completely, cutting him off completely. Now, unless you have kids. If you have kids, you have a whole other world of (laughs) challenges. I mean, especially if there's custody involved. And if there is, then, like I said, you have a whole other world of challenges and you're just going to have to do what you can to cut them off in every other way. With the kids, you have to work with them. You have to let their kids see their father, unless he's being abusive or something. But 
that's another whole show and another entire set of variables that are really, really challenging. But for you right now, cut him off. Get him out of your mind and accept that you are not going to be together ever again. That doesn't mean it won't happen. It just has to be the start of the process of healing. Because as soon as you let someone go, you give you and them a chance to to learn on their own, to learn from their mistakes, to learn from their lessons, to learn from their experiences. You give yourself and them a chance to grow without the other person's influence. And that is so important. Because once you come to a healthier place in yourself, then you're no longer seeking worth from someone else. You're seeking it from yourself. And if and when he comes back into your life or someone else, then you will have enough worth in you that you know what you'll accept in your life. And, you know, by that point, you're not going to accept someone who betrays you. You're not going to accept someone who who lies to you easily because that's what he was doing. He was lying to you easily. And when they lie about cheating on you, it's easy for them to lie about a lot of other things too. So it's unhealthy. It's, it, it's hurtful to think that someone you loved or someone you love now is doing those things to you and it's hard to let them go. But letting them go gives them a chance to grow. And then you can see who they are without you. So I want you to get to a point where you're comfortable being single, where you're comfortable being alone. Because once you are, once you're healthy in that respect, you'll find the right person. The right person comes. Because there's no longer a desperate need to fulfill something in you that's missing. Yes, I love being in a relationship. Yes, I would rather be with someone than not with someone. But I don't want to be with someone at the cost of myself. Just remember that. Don't be with anyone at the cost of you. I'm sorry if I was a little hard on you, Mary, and told you some hard truths. But sometimes in order to quit something cold turkey, you just have to hear it like it is. That is the first step in healing. Because once you get over the giant pain of truth, then you take little steps towards wholeness. I guarantee you do not feel whole in that relationship. I want the best for you and I want to hear back from you and find out where you are either today or a month from now and how it's going. You're going to make it through this. You'll be okay. We're going to get into what's in the box in one moment, but I just want to tell you about coaching with me. As you know, I am a personal empowerment coach, and uh, people reach out to me when they are stuck in some sort of situation, whether it's a decision they need to make or they're stuck in their own thought processes where they can't get something out of their head, whether it's negative self-talk, trying to get over an old flame or having feelings of doubt or lack of confidence, or maybe even something uh, not so stressful as 
going to a job interview. Although <laughs> I, I remember back in my past how stressful that was for me. So I probably shouldn't say not so stressful, but there are all these little decisions in life that sometimes we just feel like we can't get past them. And the time leading up to the decision that we have to make or the action that we have to take can be quite stressful. So I'm here to help you through that stress. I'm here to help you through anything that you're emotionally stuck in. So if you really like this show and what I teach and you want to go one-on-one with me and just get some personal interaction and personal undivided attention, reach out to me at theoverwhelmedbrain.com and click on Coach with Paul. I do offer a free 15-minute consultation, so that'll give you a chance to feel it out and see if it's right for you. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and click on Coach with Paul, and maybe we'll work together to overcome a challenge that you have very soon. I look forward to it. All right, this segment is What's in the Box? This is where I just pick anything at random, and I talk about it, and It's always something that I believe will benefit you. So it's not just some random shallow thing (laughs) for today's segment. I'm going to read you another email. Now I'll make it short, but I wanted to read you a message that I received and the answer that I wrote back to this person who is in a troubling situation. The note I wrote back, I believe may have some value in your life too. So let me get right to it and read you both her message and my response. And then we'll wrap things up and end the show. All right, here we go. Dear Paul, I'm trying to deal with my daughter, her child, and her boyfriend that live with my husband and I. She was diagnosed with a condition where it was suggested that she go on daily injections to control the symptoms. Well, she decided that she wasn't going to take the injections. Now, her memory is being affected and she's dealing with some pain. When she complains to me, I say to her that maybe it's her condition and perhaps she should do those injections. At that point, she loses her temper, screams at me, and says some terrible things. She accuses me of trying to control her. I did ask her to leave, but she told me if she does leave that I'll never get to see her child again. Is there any advice you can offer me? So I had to think about this one because this one is a challenge to think about where you want to honor your boundaries and get someone that's toxic maybe out of your house, but they have a child and you realize that you'll never see this child again. That's tough. What do you do? So here's the response I wrote to her. That is a tough position. Of course, you want to see your grandchild again. So to hear those words from her has got to be challenging. There's probably a very good reason she's refusing the injections. And it may have to do with her accepting her condition. If she takes the injections, that means that she has to accept the reality that she has a condition. Now, just a side note, I didn't want to mention what condition she had because I didn't want to make it obvious who I was talking about. So if anyone's listening and you think it pertains to you, it probably doesn't. (laughs) So I'm just protecting the privacy of the letter writer. Anyway, the last thing I said was if she takes the injections, that means she has to accept the reality that she actually has a condition. We can know that we have a certain illness or condition, but to accept it, 
is a whole different ball game. If she's reacting that harshly, then it's likely from a deep place of fear. Here's the question. What does she fear so much that she would refuse to take something that would help her? So here are my thoughts. You need to accept that she will never do the injections. Doing this will take any talk of injections out of the equation in your conversations with her so that they don't influence you. Then help her every way you can, knowing that she will always reject the injections. In fact, start to really support her decision to not take those injections. Right now, she might be struggling because she feels very alone in her condition. If you support her decisions during this time, this will make her feel loved and safe around you. And if she feels safe, perhaps she won't lash out at you. Even if you disagree with her decision, support it anyway. It doesn't mean that's what you want for her. But remember that it does mean that she can start to feel loved and supported by you. Then maybe, eventually, she might just decide to give those injections a shot. <laughs> no pun intended. At least then, it will be on her terms, and she won't resent you. Sure, it's a lot easier to kick her out, but you know where that leads. It will garner hate from her, and like you said, you probably will make your grandchild disappear from your life. Now, the situation may not stay that way, but it's worth trying other things before it has to come to that. Other things meaning not continually nudging her on the injections. Show her that you'll be there and support her wishes, genuinely. Yes, you'll have to reach way down inside to do this. And then you'll grow closer, and it'll also allow her to feel empowered to make decisions on her own without pressure from anyone else. Now, here's the hardest part. You must be okay if she chooses to never take the injections. You already know where she stands today, so just let her be with it. So, unless she's not mentally capable of making her own decisions, you have to accept her wishes and move on. I realize there's a whole lot more to your story, so I'm only replying from the slice that you shared. But I hope this helps in some small way. Thank you for writing. I wish you the best. Sincerely, Paul. So that was my letter, and I hope it helps them. And if you're in a similar situation where you really want someone to do something because you know it's good for them and maybe even life-saving for them, but they won't do it or can't do it or feel like they don't have the power to control themselves or whatever, don't push the matter. Support their decision. I say this from my own experience when I was married. I wanted my wife to not eat junk food, and yet she had a craving for junk food all the time. So I was super judgmental, and every time she ate it, I would give her that look, and then I would feel down, and it would cause her to feel bad knowing that I felt bad, but she couldn't control herself, and I thought she could, and she just wasn't trying hard enough, and it caused all kinds of problems. But as soon as I came to an acceptance that it is not my job to change anyone's mind, it is not my job 
to force anyone to do anything that they either can't or won't do. As soon as I turned that back on myself and said, what can I do to support that person no matter what decision they make? As soon as I did that, everything changed. My judgments went away. And on top of that, not only did I ask myself, how can I support this person? I also came to a place inside where I said, how can I support this person even when I disagree with their decision? So if you can get to a place where you can support someone, even if you disagree with their decision, they are going to think the world of you. If I had done that many years before my marriage ended, my marriage probably wouldn't have ended. Lesson learned. (laughs) So that's what I want to leave you with today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope to connect with you again next week. Until that time, we'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I would like to give a quick shout out to Sal. And I would also like to thank Kathy and Robert for being the wonderful people they are and giving a donation to the show. I appreciate you. Thank you. I also want to thank Asha with GetOutOfTheMess.com. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, you can pay less than a dollar a day to get legal advice and someone to go to bat for you when someone else does you wrong. (laughs) You heard Asha today. She thought she was going to have to pay twice as much with her medical insurance, and it felt so good for her to know that no matter what, she had immediate access to the legal answers she needed if she needed them. There's no stress when you know how to get out of the mess. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. I'll have to keep that one. Get that feeling of confidence by having peace of mind month after month. Call Asha and ask her if this legal insurance is right for you. She can be reached at 678-355-8777 or visit getoutofthemess.com today. I want to thank everyone who has purchased a book or a worksheet. These deeper learning resources are available at theoverwhelmedbrain.com if you're interested. And I'd also like to thank those of you using the Amazon link on the site to shop as you normally would, which gives us pennies for every dollar you spend. And those pennies add up. Your contributions and shopping habits are making a difference. They really are. So thank you. And finally, thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. In closing, I have one thing to say because it's all I need to say. Well, I'm sure I'll say more, but <laughs> but it's a question for you. Ask yourself the following. What is toxic in my life? That's it. Just one question. Is it a toxic thought or is it a bunch of toxic thoughts? Is it something you see every day that maybe it's time to get rid of? Is it the color of your bathroom wall? Maybe it's a person that you're around that brings toxicity into your life. Whatever it is, it's time to consider what steps you can take to change things for you. Think of toxic people and things as poisoning your bloodstream. Slowly, every day your bloodstream gets more and more toxic. Eventually, you'll reach a saturation point where there's more toxic blood than healthy blood. 
and something will have to give. Either you'll have a breakdown, which could certainly lead to a breakthrough, or you'll get rid of the toxic thing or person, and your toxicity will slowly decrease, or both could happen. No matter what, there is an end to toxicity, because it's not sustainable. Toxic people wear you down until you're left with nothing. Toxic things can be a consistent stress and drain on your system, and soon you're jaded from even being near them. I know this from personal experience because of our oven. <laughs> In our kitchen, we have this oven. The broiler drawer at the bottom, I think that's what it's called, always comes out and really, quite frankly, pisses my girlfriend off, <laughs> which gets her in a bad mood. I think it's time I fixed that. <laughs> so, what is toxic in your life? And even though you could have some strong attachment to it, if it's more toxic than pleasing, it's time to apply the antidote, which is self-love. Because when you love yourself, you do things that are in your best interest for now and in the long run. So with that, I want you to open your mind and step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. to tell him my name you say it six times at the beginning <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you good enough